this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 18, our preview of the inaugural Innovations in Natural Care Conference, which takes place in Barcelona on May 6th and May 7th. This conversation starts with Jeff Lazarus commenting on the impact of social stigma, after which we shift focus to the Innovators Conference agenda. Jeff describes the first section as what he calls Epidemiology for Action, an effort to motivate the broader physician communities, cardiology, endocrinology, primary care, allied professionals, to think about each patient's liver when working them up. We detour briefly into a discussion of the variability of epidemiology estimates, the idea that early estimates are frequently inflated until models improve, but also that the larger numbers can galvanize the public or at least attract patient attention. This transitions neatly to the second section, which focuses on screening tests and techniques, including the ability to automate calculation of test results to make it easier for primary care physicians to identify at-risk patients. The session ends with Jorn making the point that the goal is for the physician to inform and educate the patient, who then needs to make a decision on their own about how to proceed and how strongly to commit to therapy. Congratulations to Jorn and Jeff for creating this unique event. A public health view of NAFLD integrates the things most listeners in this podcast consider every day, like diagnostics, medication, and patient management, with an array of consensus building and public sector education needs like guidelines and endorsements we don't think about all that much. It's a different look. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Let's go to the opening session on Friday, May 6th, starting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon in Barca 7 and Barca 7 in the morning here. And the first session is on epidemiology and disease burden. It says measuring silent condition. What do you expect that session will achieve? What are the three speakers looking to do? And where do you think all that goes? Jeffrey Lazarus. I'll jump in because there's going to be sessions where I will rely much more heavily on urine, <laughs> even if we're developing this program together as the joint co-chair. Of uh, of the meeting, um, you know, this first session. Yeah, sure, we can say the epidemiology is is you know roughly one in four adults, and we're not entirely sure uh, among children. But we want to get at you know what's what's the epidemiology, the critical epidemiology in other conditions. So in diabetes, in obesity, we want to start to look at the relationships and attribution between cardiovascular disease and fatty liver disease. So we want to go one step further and really understand where where this fits in in terms of, of metabolic health and where there's that interplay and overlap and look at it from that epidemiological perspective. So it's just a scene setting. So this isn't just a, there's a lot of people with fatty liver disease and we need to do something about it. It's epidemiology for action. So this is the situation. If you're a cardiologist and you're looking at your guidelines or you're thinking about your patients and you're not thinking about the liver at all, then there is a problem. I'm not saying it's got to be your top priority, but you know, when we review the cardiological guidelines and we don't see liver mentioned except for the word to deliver on better cardiological outcomes, you know, we have a problem. And so it's, it's really to look at that kind of epi for action. Jeff, I like the way you said that this session is set up, right? I mean, first, Zobar talking about public health agenda. Um, Zobar said something at CLDF I thought was really interesting. You and I had talked last fall, I'd asked you on this podcast, about would there be consequences with payers if we said more than one in four? And you said, yeah, that was a concern. Zobar actually made the comment that CLDF, that the number might not be 25, it might be starting to look more like 30% of the adult population. I don't know that he had data for that or just that he was taking a look at a variety of different perspective studies, but but um, I was intrigued to hear that. So that's number one. And then the idea of Sven coming on and talk, Frank coming on and talking about liver heart access, and then uh, Cyril Kelsey, who I don't know, but who I've, who I've heard speak. 
week, um, talking about the metabolic triple. It feels like that's constructed to do exactly what you said, right? Say to people, here's the scale of Nash, and here are the bad places that you go from there. If you are kind of the tsunami highway. Yorn, any comments to add about that session? Yorn Schottenberg. You know, we're trying to be a little provocative, and we called it how to measure a silent condition, right? And this is something we've struggled in with the field, because if you look into the big databases and Zubair has done a lot of great studies in this. There's always so much gray zone and uncertainty about the true prevalence, I'm not speaking about the coding of the disease. So how can you make informed public health decisions if the disease is not coded? This is one of the major challenges, and, and he's just in a great position to talk about all this exciting analysis he led uh, and, and detail that. The other thing that you'll see throughout the program, and that's been very specifically designed by us to do so, is we'll, we'll have that combination of people coming in. You mentioned the cardiologist. Uh, we have Cyril Cossey here. She's an endocrinologist, actually, from France, from Lyon, and she'll bring in her very unique perspective of how endocrinologists and physicians that predominantly treat a patient with type 2 diabetes are seeing this disease. She's clearly biased towards NASH, has worked in San Diego, I believe, for a long time and doing a lot of MRI studies with Rohit Lumba, but uh, she'll be a great addition to this first session. I'll just add, if I may, Roger, you know, right now, I don't think the question is, is it 25%, 28%, 30%, or as low as 22% adult prevalence? I mean, I, you know, I trained as an epidemiologist. I'd love to know it. the numbers to like, you know, the third decimal and stratified in every possible way, whether it's region, education, age, sex, gender, etc. But the point is, is that it's an incredible number. And it's an incredible number in certain settings. We know that. We know in diabetes clinics, some estimates as high as 70% of people in certain settings will have, you know, NAFLD, and yet they're not even getting a you know, FIB4 or any other non-invasive tests on a regular basis. So we, we are going to be at a scientific conference meeting. We'll be we'll be looking for, you know, very exact numbers to the extent we can. But it's a little bit like with AIDS and hepatitis C early on. Later, as estimates got better, those numbers came down quite a bit. Remember in hep C, the estimate in 2015 was 71 million. And when the tools got better, it came down to 58 million for 2015. And it wasn't really because we were treating our way out of it and preventing so many cases. It was better modeling. And the same thing with HIV. When they got better modeling in India and Nigeria um, 20 years ago, they were able to bring down those numbers. So, so maybe these numbers will change. Probably not drastically, but even if they do change some percentages, it's not like it's going from going to go from 25 to, to 1%. Because I'm a marketer by training, I'm a few things by training. One is a marketer, and I'm a huge fan of the idea of threshold theory and just noticeable differences, right? Which is why you never find an item in a store anywhere in the world for uh, $10, euro, pounds, uh, 0.05. It's always 9.95 because at 10, it feels like it's a threshold. I, I've always thought a quarter is one of those numbers. The, the 28 just looks bigger than 25 in a way the 25 does doesn't look bigger than 22. So I, I took note of that. And, and I think your point, Jeff, is, is dead on right. The other point, though, which is also right, and you just made this one, is that once people understand this is really a big thing, even if the numbers come down because the estimating gets better, once it's imprinted that this is a big deal, a really big deal, it tends to stay that way in people's minds. No one goes later, oh, pish, it's only 58, not 71 million. Uh, 58 still sounds like a pretty big number. And it, if 71 got people's attention, that's just kind of how it worked. Yeah, remember, you know, in hepatitis C, with all with the absolutely amazing treatments we have and really a lot of awareness now in a World Hepatitis Day and WHO addressing it and half the countries in the world with a strategy. It's thought that the majority of people with hepatitis C aren't even diagnosed. In many countries, maybe even a third of people with HIV are not diagnosed. So we're we're really a long way off in NAFLD and I think it's going to be even, it's going to be quite slow going. And I know there's some concern sometimes among the payers, but even if we get a treatment and a lot of people need it, it's going to be a while to find these people. Which is a great segue, by the way 
the way to your second session titled Screening and Risk Stratifying for NAFL, Who and Where. So let's talk a little bit about that session. Thanks, Roger. And I think this is how we wanted to set it up, talk about the disease burden and then about screening next. And we have Emmanuel Chukchatsis there, who is, you know, in a great position. He's a co-author of the recent non-invasive diagnostic testing guidelines produced by EASL, EASL governing board member. And he will really give us an update on innovative pathways, risk stratifications in general using NITs, where do we stand? And then actually hands-on experience from John Dillon from Dundee, who has done a fabulous job in implementing an, an automated system, iLiver, ILFT, uh, in, in, in a system where you can actually have computer um, act on abnormal tests and then refer uh, for additional uh, testing. So I think one strategy that if being rolled out in, in, in different settings could really help expedite the diagnostic rates, this is a reason why I'm excited about this one because you get an augmentation. So even if you do not have a hepatologist sitting in a practice, let's say a diabetologist's practice, uh, you could still screen for liver disease there and then recommend the patients with advanced disease we want to take care of as hepatologists. Yeah, I thought it was striking that the chair of the session is Ken Cousy, who's an endocrinologist, and then after Manolis, the other two papers are fundamentally about general practice, right? Uh, right on. And we're still hoping to get a primary care physician who uh, is uh, ready to join us here and give his perspective because, again, they're seeing so many patients and uh, to use a Harrison quote here, greet them and street them in uh, 10 or 15 minutes, depending on uh, how busy your practice is. I mean, the least concern is going to be a slightly elevated ALT. And that could be the cirrhotic patients where you're going to have cancer two years down the line. And we really need to augment these physicians to enable them and identify that at-risk patient that sometimes for an experienced hepatologist is difficult to pick out. That's the point where we really need to start talking to each other. And I'm very excited to have them on board and, and uh, give their perspective here. Fantastic. Other thoughts on this session, Jeff? Jörn did a great job of showing how we have these incredible speakers with these experiences. We can automate, you know, FIB4 and find these abnormal liver function tests if it's too much work, you know, to, to read the results for individuals or, or if they're simply missed in the process. And there's, there's lots of interesting examples now of even bypassing with permission doctors so that the labs can perform these tests and then provide the information back if it meets the cutoffs. So it's really the story now is about risk stratification. It's about when to refer, when to wait, but also about raising awareness. And we had similar discussions with um, hepatitis C. You know, in the beginning, it was reimbursement restrictions. And we're going to, with the limitations we had, we were going to treat the F4 cases and the F3 cases. And then we realized, actually, we need to treat everyone with the virus. Um, we'll see what happens with, with NAFLD and, and what happens in the drug pipeline, which is a long pipeline. It's going to take a while. But um, right now, we need to start risk stratify to make sure we get those cirrhotic cases, those liver cancer cases to the specialists. And at the same time, I at least believe, and I'm not sure I have the evidence for this, but I believe that if people are aware that they have a liver problem, even if it's not a serious problem, it's one more reason for them to you know, exercise more, eat more healthily, and so on. Yeah, I think I agree with that for some people, not all people, but it's a, it's a game of inches, and I think the, or a game of yards and, or meters. And the point that you're making that I totally agree with is that there are a lot of people who would do that if they knew who do not know. Not everybody, but lots of people. You know, uh, Wayne Eskridge famously tells a story about finding out that he'd been gaining weight for 30 years, and he had cirrhosis, and he and his wife went home, emptied out their cabinet, and over the next decade, he lost 70 pounds, and 
he'd restored most of his normal liver function. And he said if he'd known 20 years earlier, he just would have handled his life differently. Um, now, he's a high visibility example, but uh, I have friends with similar stories, a lot less dramatic than that. Not that everybody will do that, but lots of people will. And and just to reinforce it, I mean, Roger, this is at the, at the heart of the physician-patient interaction. The physician is the one that informs the patient and leaves him the choice to do with it what he wants to do with it. But for this, we have to ha have all the information. We got to enable our patients to then act or not act, which is their choice. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss what the leaders of the Nail NIT initiative believe we might learn from their retrospective analyses. We may also have some news for you at that time. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.